Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. From starting her working journey in the south of Turkey as an archaeologist, to being appointed global president of the prestigious Advertising Week, there is much to excavate when it comes to Ruth Mortimer's colourful career. Driven by a desire to prove those who underestimate or doubt her wrong, Ruth shares with me what has guided her path to success, as well as the learnings and moments of resets she has had along the way. We talked together about the clarity and perspective the time away from work gave her during her maternity leave, as well as why her whole career has been underpinned by a desire to understand and share people's stories. It's a fabulous story to hear. From perhaps one self-confessed workaholic to another, we discuss what we do to switch off and really look after our own well-being. We also talk quite openly about the help we have both received from counsellors to reflect, reframe and reset our own thinking to become both better leaders for others and more compassionate individuals to ourselves. Having worked together within a range of different organisations, the conversation looks at the importance of building an open and authentic culture where people really feel able to help and put care and well-being at the very heart of this. To continue the discussion of building business cultures where well-being is firmly at the heart of performance, we talk about our Power Up Festival. We are working on closely together to create on May the 19th at Advertising Week Europe. We are so excited about this year's festival. We talk about and share why we came up with the idea and why the topic of well-being is so integral to business performance. So if you're listening to this and you want to buy tickets, visit the Advertising Week Europe website uh, or to see if you're eligible for a free power-up ticket. Email me, suki at letsreset.com or DM, DM me through Instagram at Suki Thompson or at Let's Reset One. And by the way, if you enjoy this Reset the Podcast, please, please do sign up. It makes a really big difference to us. Um, and if you enjoy it, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks very much. Ruth, how absolutely lovely to see you today. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really excited to be here talking to you. Well, you know, we see a lot of each other at the moment, don't we? Because we are full on um, hurtling towards Advertising Week Europe and the Power Up Festival because we're on the on the Thursday and the 19th of May. Um, gosh, you uh, you work in time zones. We were just talking about this. You've just been promoted to president of uh, actually, I think I just think president full stop is fine, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. Let's not specify where or no. country. No. Okay. So, um, but you work in multiple time zones all the time. Um, what was your What was your upbringing like? What um, have you always had a a wanderlust for travel and business and life in general and a, a wandering lifestyle? I think so. Maybe I think one of the, one of the things um, about my upbringing is my mum's family are um, Ukrainian English. My stepdad was Czech. Um, my my um, my dad is um, English, and we grew up. I grew up in this tiny village in Scotland where they called us the foreign family because everybody had accents, or we didn't we didn't share a surname with the rest of the village. It was that it was that yeah. kind of place. Yes, that kind of place. And um, and I think it was a it was a really interesting upbringing with kind of parents who are both kind of um, fit in and don't fit into their surroundings, 
both stand out and are good at integrating with people because they've had to, because they've moved or shifted between cultures. My stepdad particularly was, um, he had um, fled what was Czechoslovakia and come um, and ended up living in Scotland. And one of the best things about him was he always dressed as if he was a kind of English country gent but spoke with the thickest accent imaginable. And he spoke all kinds of language. He spoke Arabic, he'd lived in Sudan, he was massively educated. But he always had that really interesting thing of sort of both acquiring the clothing of somebody from the UK while being very, very different culturally. And I think that's the interesting thing I think about my childhood is both that feeling of fitting in and standing out at the same time. Yeah, that's really nice. I love that expression, fitting in and standing out. But so um, how does your, how do you feel about, you know, if you've got parents like that and and mum and stepdad, how do you feel at the moment about the war with the Ukraine and Russia? Do you have a, a strong view about that? Yeah, I think I feel, you know, I know a lot of people who are either trying to leave Ukraine or have to stay in Ukraine. I think, you know, I think, it's a situation that we've all seen coming for many years, um, particularly um, in the West with our dealings with Russia. Mm. It's not like, um, I don't think Vladimir Putin's been particularly quiet about his intentions. And I think, look, I think any humanitarian crisis is um, a really awful one. And I'm sure we'll come on to it, but I used to work in the Middle East and Syria is another country in a similar way with huge displacement of people and terrible kind of, war and injustice there and I think any situation like that just makes you feel it just makes you feel really hopeless sometimes Mm, yeah yeah absolutely um and I think it's interesting you talk about that fitting in did you feel when you went to school that equally you sort of fitted in but didn't fit in the whole time when you were young yeah I I always felt I mean I sounded I never sounded really Scottish like I can get a bit more of a Scottish voice like this which is how I sound if I've had a few drinks <laughs> and I'm and I'm at home but I had you know a little bit of a wonky accent I didn't quite say my words right I was terribly conscious of being particularly a Jewish child in a school where I remember once our head teacher you know it wasn't terribly kind of culturally mixed at the time and my head teacher asked me to bring in a book on global religions because she, you know, because I the standard. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was very, it was kind of a very non-diverse space. Having said that, it was also an amazing place with lots of amazing people who I'm still friends with now. But I think you really got that feeling of, oh, how can I make sure that I fit in here when I feel maybe I'm not like everybody else? But at the same time, actually, that's okay. Maybe I don't mind. Maybe it's okay. Maybe not fitting in is my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly, um, you know, we've known each other a number of years and I think you do a brilliant job of not nicely not fitting in. You know, you have a different perspective. You have a good good slogan, Suki. What do you do? I nicely don't fit in. Not horribly. Not horribly. Quite nicely. (laughs) Um, So then you went to university and then and you became uh, you you studied history and archaeology and then you became an archaeologist. How did that happen? How did you go from, um, you know, this extraordinary upbringing in in many ways in a quiet place in, in Scotland? Was it because there was lots of ancient things around you? What what attracted you to it? Not really. I think it was a very on-brand for me decision, which was that everybody thought I was a good writer when I was at school and everyone assumed I would become a writer when I grew up. And I thought, you know, you can't define me. It's very, very me. You can't define me. I won't be what you think of me. So I went to a university open day and heard about archaeology and I just thought, yeah, that looks good. I'm going to do that. You know, sort the rest of you. I'm going to do something I want to do that's unexpected and I hope I'm good at it and maybe I won't be and that's an exciting that's an exciting challenge and I think that's that is quite true to one aspect of my character as well. Well I'm just doing the complete opposite to what people think and yeah or not liking where people feel like something is a sure thing about you or you're very predictable I think I can be very predictable, but then like lots of people, you have that little rogue element where you think, nah, maybe yeah. you don't know me so well. 
Yeah, yeah, I can get that. And what was it like being an archaeologist? What attracted you to it? Were you, and were you any good? Um, I'm not sure I was any good. I mean, I'm no longer an archaeologist. You'd have to ask my bosses at the time. Um, but what really attracted me was the idea of storytelling. So ironically, it goes back to being a writer, which I did later become. But I think I love the idea that you have these little kind of mysteries, these records of people in the material remains we've left. And from that, you have to construct a whole world. And I just found that such a kind of interesting and exciting prospect, like being a detective and a writer all in one. Yeah. And that was really what got me um, hooked on it. Yeah, detective and a writer, I can understand that. And did you find anything very exciting? I found things that were very exciting to me. So I didn't find, you know, a golden chalice, the Holy Grail escaped me the whole time. Um, but I found lots of really interesting things. I found lots of particularly really interesting ceramics that had a lot to um, a lot to say about ancient trade routes and how they worked or lots of um, people buried in ways that tells you about who they were and how they lived. And those things I thought were really interesting because in the end, they're kind of the stories of people. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think there's also something, I think we've reappraised now as well when you're looking at archaeology. And this was happening when I worked in it as well, reappraising that relationship between you and the dead and particularly things like, you know, being respectful. There's certain cultures where actually people remaining buried is really important to them and being respectful of the culture you're working in as well. And I found that very interesting as well. Mm, yeah. And what was it like spending weeks on end at one archaeological dig with the same people doing the kind of vaguely same thing every single day? Did, did you like that? Yeah, it was always exciting. You know, often you you were having kind of, they were crazy adventures. You know, at one particular site I worked at, we lived in, we lived in tents and you'd wake up and there'd be hens in your tent, there'd be cows in your tent. Then the cows would have all eaten all your food and you had to eat aubergine for about three days because there was nothing left, you know, and you were always inventing kind of crazy games and dares and different things because you were the same group of people for um weeks on end and I think yeah it was it was a lovely kind of it was a really bonding experience when you worked like that with people it was really kind of special and different yeah I can just imagine but I can't I mean your life now could not really be further away from hens and chickens sort of scratching around your tent um what was it that made you go okay maybe this calling of being a writer um is pulling me too hard how did that happen well, I think I, I really enjoyed the archaeology, but one thing I couldn't work out. So where I was working um, mainly was in southeast Turkey, and I loved it. I loved the sites there. I loved the Middle East, but I didn't know if I wanted to be an academic. And so the next natural step was really either um, for that kind of site, there's not a whole load of kind of jobs outside the academic sphere. So you yeah. kind of have to be an academic to work there. And I couldn't quite work out, was that what I wanted to do? So I decided um, one time when I came home, I thought, you know what, I'm going to try something else. Um, and I ended up getting a job doing research and writing um, at a publishing company. And I enjoyed that side of it so much. It was just another door that opened, I guess, another way of telling yeah. stories. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And it did have the added bonus that it was much easier to wear eyeliner <laughs> and dry my hair. You know, in the tent, I've got to say, when I look back at those photos, I remember someone once said, God, I just can't imagine you wearing makeup. And if you know me, you know, I, lo I love the art and the creativity of makeup yeah. and not so much the kind of masking, more the kind of being able to express yourself. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, interesting. So I think for me, it was just moving into another space where I could tell stories. Yeah, yeah I can see that. I can see that. And then you ended up in Marketing Week, um, which is part of Centaur, which actually we'd met at Wackle, but, um, but you were at Centaur for some time. So that was kind of quite a big reset. What did that feel like? What was it like? Because... I mean, actually, you, you grew up through Centaur in many ways, and it was a, a really maverick business of lots of different companies and lots of different magazines that then came together and then kind of ultimately went digital. What was that journey like? 
I think it was really interesting. I think when I joined, when I joined, um, the company called itself a federation of small businesses, and it very much ran itself like that. Everybody was kind of doing their own thing, and in a way, I'd say there was no great one great reset. It was like a mini reset all the time, and. You know, you were going into media at just that point where effectively, I think the money was sort of falling out of media, where advertising was completely changing. The Internet was revolutionizing how we did things. All the old norms were being kind of swept away. So that was a really exciting time because not only were you resetting, you know, constantly, but your industry was resetting constantly. The products you worked on were resetting constantly. And I think, again, I really like. I really enjoyed that kind of mini reinvention. You weren't leaving everything behind you, but you were just adding to it every, you know, every couple of years. Yeah. And what was then happening in your life at the same time? Was that the time that you got married, had children? You know, what what was going on there? Do you know what, Suki? I've completely blanked the whole thing. I've got absolutely no (laughs) idea, obviously. I think when we talk about wellness, I'm like, my God, maybe I was just working really hard. I mean, I did have two children while I was there. I can remember. I can remember that because it was quite painful. So that's really stuck. With me. <laughs> that's yeah. But again, but again, that was. I think that was a really interesting kind of change of you know how do you work once you have a family as a woman? It's a subject that comes up a lot. And I actually found again that was a great moment of being able to reinvent yourself. Um, my boss at the time. I often tell this story to women who are going off on maternity leave. My boss at the time, I, you know, I was coming back to work after having my first child. And I think I was a bit of a workaholic. You know, I'd written a book while I was on maternity leave. I still wrote a monthly column. Oh, you wrote a book. What was your book about? Oh, it was about marketing. It was it was entirely, you know, you someone who wasn't very good at that point at letting go. Ah, uh, yes. But yes. I felt if if you'd asked me at the time, I would have described it as such a relaxing break. <laughs> and that I wasn't working at all but looking back I think no, no Ruth no that's not a break um you went mad on multitasking mm. but one of the things um my boss said when I came back um so I started back again I was terribly nervous really insecure felt massively not you know not at all confident And really quickly, I noticed there was lots of little things that needed to be adjusted or changed or weren't going so well because I knew the job really well. But I'd had that moment to step back, which had offered me clarity. So I said to my boss at the time, oh, it's really interesting coming back. I found it really helpful. I think I'm going to be able to do a great job because you rarely ever get the chance to know a job really in depth, but then have the ability to step back and have real clarity on it. It's such an asset. And she went, oh, it really is, and repeated it to someone else. And then people were saying to me, it's so great to have you back, Ruth, because the thing is, you know the job so well, but you've had the clarity by stepping back. And a few months later, they promoted me. And when they promoted me, they said, oh, Ruth, the thing is, you came back and you had the clarity, even though you knew the job so well. And I was like, oh, my God, I said that almost to myself because I wanted to believe it. And one of the great things I learned is that actually, if you tell people what what you want to believe, it doesn't mean it's untrue, but actually yeah. what is a real insight, even if you don't feel confident about it, people people go with it. Yeah, yeah, oh, you're absolutely right. And have you found since then you've had other moments in your career when you've similarly felt, you know, insecure or that maybe you can't do the job and you've done the same thing has that worked for you does that work for you as a you know got a good a good tool in a way yeah I think absolutely there's been moments where I think or actually I think being open and asking questions I think one of the things you see is that people were really worried to ever ask questions and I think only yesterday I said to my boss I don't get it he was explaining something and I said I just don't get this I I just don't get it and I think often you're too worried in lots of environments to say I don't get it or I don't know or how do I do this but I think luckily I don't mind asking because I think better to have asked because then you look curious and ready to learn 
than have tried to hidden what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think earlier in my career, I was a lot more nervous about when I don't know something, how do I not show it? Whereas now I'm like, oh, if I don't know it, I better learn it. And I think that's just a much more open and better way to be. It is. It is an open and better way to be. And I, and I wonder whether culturally as well, um, if you can get a culture that enables you to do that. And I and I think that's one of the great things that actually you've done at, at AW is, um, is actually encourage that culture of curiosity of people, you know, working stuff out, learning new things and also just trying stuff. Yeah, I think one of the things that fits really well with my personality with Advertising Week and particularly Lance Pillersdorf and Matt Schechner, who founded the business together. I think one of the things I love about it is they're people who they always want to push you that little bit further or go, oh, let's try this really interesting idea because no one else is doing this. And let's just be a little bit better, a little bit different. And we can do it. Why not? What what would be in our way? And when people are like that, it's quite hard to work out what would be in your way. Yeah. Yeah. And why shouldn't you? And it's kind of it is difficult and people might not have done it before. But and, you know, there might be a reason that no one's done it before. But equally, it might be a first. And, you know, that's that's great. Yeah. And I think also the permission also to be able to go after, you know, people talk about the permission to fail. But I think it's more about the permission to learn something. So, Mm. you know, after everything we do, we're always evaluating, going, did that go so well? Did that not? Sometimes we're laughing and yeah. going, you know, but it's always about what did we learn? Because let's do a little bit better next time because we learned something. But it doesn't mean you stop trying. It just means make sure when you learn it, you don't do exactly that same thing again if it didn't work out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and then going back to your kind of central time. So, you know, you became the editor of Marketing Week. Um, actually for quite for three years, which is, which is quite a long time, at a quite a pivotal time. So 2012, 2015, there was a lot going on in the industry. I think there was a lot of change. It was, for me, quite peak oyster catchers time in a way where clients and agencies were working differently. Marketing teams were training in a different way. What, what do you remember in the kind of most exciting or challenging part of that role at the time or what was going on in the industry? I think there were two things. One was moving away from that idea of um, magazines have been about news, 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 news. And we discovered that you couldn't really make money out of news. Mm. So it was about finding the deeper analysis, moving, particularly in the um, business to business space, from being less kind of, we're going to tell you about this thing that has happened and more, what does this mean for you? And I think that was a really interesting intellectual shift for me in terms of what that media was trying to do, that you were trying to help people understand what that information meant for them rather than just that it existed at all or it had happened. So that was one really big thing I think was going on at the time, that shift from, I guess, news to analysis. Um, And the other thing that was that really big um, change was moving to different formats. So You know, it had been a weekly magazine, a print magazine, but now you had digital, you had video, you had, you know, you had audio, you had the start, um, although that was very early of podcasting. You had um, you had all these different elements and particularly digital events where you were trying to take some of the ideas and storytelling from the print era into new formats. And that was really exciting. And I think as well, one thing was taking people with you, because I think sometimes um, in media companies, you have a very big split between the editorial staff um, and the business side of the operation, because there is that tension between resources and profit always. And a big part of my job was about how can you make people feel really excited about the opportunities? Yeah actually this digital this digital era is an opportunity it's a way to reach more people than ever before it's not it's not just a cost-cutting era it's something better than that if we can find the right way to do this Mm. yeah and then and then you went on even further so you then you know we're head of content for 
um, the Festival of Marketing, which is, you know, I've always loved that festival. Um, and then on to e-consultancy and, and particularly that kind of training side, which is the area that you've really grown, particularly at Advertising Week as well. It, again, is that your sort of storytelling or have you always had a thirst for knowledge and learning? I think the thing I really loved about, um, I loved about this sort of business to business um, media training. I love the idea that you're useful to someone. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive emetophobe. If you're sick in front of me, you know, I'm terrible with people vomiting. So I realized quickly I couldn't be a doctor. <laughs> um, and I was so argumentative that I thought, oh, no, if I'm a lawyer, I'll just end up arguing even with myself. But this was a career I really loved because I was like, actually, I want to do something really useful for people that actually makes their jobs better. And that's where I get a huge reward when someone wrote to you and said, do you know what your article made me think differently or your, you know, this piece that you wrote that really um, helped me in my job? I guess it was that kind of that that really I could take onto the training where you thought, actually, I can make a bit of a difference to someone writing this article and helping them think differently. But maybe I can make a really big difference to their career by taking that into training. And hopefully the storytelling I've learned along the way will help me make this engaging because so often I think training is just not very interesting. And that thing that people should be really excited about because it's actually learning how to improve yourself, your career. It's, it's a super exciting concept, but actually the experience of it is clicking through, you know, a really dull kind of online manual and, I was like, surely it has to be more exciting than this. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're so right. And I do think one of the fabulous things now about training is, and particularly online, is it can be so exciting and innovative and different. Um, is there a piece of work, either something you've written, something you've championed, or something you've even created a course about that you go, yeah, that for me was a very defining piece of work that's made me think differently or, or or actually you're hugely proud of? I think one of the things um, I've done recently are a couple of courses that I really love with um, Fernando Machado. He was the CMO of Burger King. He's now Activision Blizzard. Um, and Raja Rajamana, who's the CMO, who is the CMO of MasterCard. Mm-hmm. And the reason I particularly like these is I like the concept behind it, which is if you're a marketer anywhere in the world for a small pizza chain, for a hairdresser, your chances of being in the room or being in a strategy conversation with Fernando or Raja are really low. Um, And one of the things I really like is we created a couple of courses with them where, for example, Fernando teaches you about appraising creative work and branding, which is quite a it's quite a kind of um, ephemeral sort of idea. Like, how do you appraise creative work? But he goes through um, with some of his team and says, you know, this is how we do it with the checklist. This is how you can sell it into your board. And I think. How often would you get to hear if you're a marketer in, I don't know, a small business, a hairdresser in Croydon, you might not ever meet Fernando, but you are able to, through our online course, effectively meet him and learn from him. And I love that idea of kind of democratizing learning at that elite level. And it's one of the things we try to do through our events as well. So we try to price them accessibly you know we have tickets for advertising week europe at the moment which if you've been made redundant from your role if you're um you know if you are on leave for any particular reason you can apply and come along because we think it's so important that you that this is for everybody learning should be for everybody yeah yeah and like that and again that's what i really love about advertising week and the festival and that learning should be for everyone and and it's lovely that you can give that opportunity to anyone to come along uh, like we do at the Parrot Festival as well I think you know it's really it's really important isn't it um one of the things I'm curious about and you, you mentioned a little bit before that kind of tension between content and commercial between journalists and and commercial and I think you know when I first sold oyster catchers into Centaur there was very much that divide between the commercial go-getters 
the lovely um, journalists and content providers. And you were very much in that space. So there was a bit of a, oh, you know, we love Reese, but she's not very commercial. In the same way that I would bracket myself with those oh, she's a great entrepreneur, but she doesn't really understand a PLC. Well, do you know what? I didn't understand a PLC, but I did learn. And, uh, you know, now I work with you, you've absolutely learned. You know, it's not even that hard. But I wonder, did it ever piss you off that people would go, you can only do one of these two things, you can't do both? Oh, of course it did, Suki. You know, I, I think we've already discovered during this podcast that I don't like to be told what I can and can't do because <laughs> I'm stuck in a box. So, of course, it did. And actually, I have to give credit to um, Andrea Vidler, who is the CEO at Centaur. Um, she she listened to me when I said one of the things that really annoyed me was that the idea that I could create the things that people bought. So I knew what they wanted to buy and I would work on our commercial content and create these big proposals that we sold for a lot of money. Yeah. And I was like, but I do the sales bit. I create the idea they buy into. Getting them to sign the contract is the end of that process, but it's not all of that process. And so I absolutely wanted that chance. And to Andrea's credit, she let me, you know, with the Festival of Marketing, she said, okay, step in, run the sales, run the marketing, have that more commercial overview. You hold the budget for this and make it work and meet the KPIs I give you. If you think you can do this, come on then and show me. And I also think that's a great privilege to have had bosses who say, okay, okay, I believe you. Come on then. Yeah, try it. Try it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there must have been moments, uh, you know, then and, and throughout your career where you haven't always got it right. How do you deal with that? I think trying to learn something from it. I mean, there's been lots of moments I've got it wrong or ideas you've had haven't worked or you've been too early for things that just weren't, you know, that's always really frustrating when you had a great idea, doesn't work. And then two years later, someone else has that great idea and you think, oh, no. But I think lots of things you just you make your best guess sometimes that this will be successful and it's not. I think I just tried to learn something from it. If you don't learn anything from it, it's kind of a pointless experience for anything in life, but particularly on the mistakes I've learned. There's been things I wish, I think, oh, I wish I'd handled that differently. But now I look back and go, do you know what? I didn't have the knowledge to handle that differently or the experience to handle that differently. So what can it mean for me now today? Yeah. I can learn something from it now. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I couldn't have learned from it in the same way then. Mm. Yeah. Have you got any good examples of that? Mm, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Um, hmm. And this is terrible because actually, Suki, there've been millions of things that have gone wrong on almost every day. I'm obviously just feeling too successful within myself because I'm doing this podcast with you right now. Yeah, because it can't any of the bad things in my head. Yeah. Oh, but I've had, I've had, so for example, I've had um, big commercial partnerships where I've been sure that I've got a brilliant idea for a client and they haven't signed up after a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, Sometimes you're like, I don't understand. I did exactly what you asked for. I created a great idea. And I think this is a great idea. It met all the things you asked for. Why didn't this work out? Because now I'm not going to hit the numbers in my division I wanted to hit. So that's an example of, and I think what I tried to do was learn from it and go back and ask the client. And you generally discover there is a reason. Like, actually, do you know what? You misunderstood how we buy things. You misunderstood, actually, our planning cycles aren't really a year. They're 18 months. You were trying to sell me this at entirely the wrong moment. And yeah. you're like, oh, oh, right. So I think with something like that, that's a good example that can often happen to you. And that's what I try to learn is where did it go wrong here? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a good. And I would actually, looking at you, I think you're very good at that. Your reflection, your self-reflection is good. And you're, you like learning points from everything that perhaps doesn't go as well as it could. You're a very, you seem to be, you're a very calm person. 
you know I, I see you very passionate and I see you kind of you know pulling your socks up and going god let's bloody well go again at this but I don't feel that you you get particularly angry or overly frustrated I don't think I do in a I think it's very rare for me to get overtly angry I think at work I think internally I'm a very sort of hot-headed passionate person because I really care about stuff but I think I do try and reflect on actually is this the best way to express it I'm not perfect I'm sure you know all my colleagues could say Ruth you've got the rage (laughs) and you were really unreasonable don't you remember when you've got the rage um so I'm sure they'll all listen and write in to tell me where I was wrong but um but I think in general you know I think it one of the things I learned actually from working for some people who were I would say more volatile to work for is that stress when you work for someone who doesn't make you feel like this is okay and we can handle it so the best bosses I've had you know you're not scared to approach them when something's going wrong because they go okay all right, let's look at how we fix it. Even if it means a difficult conversation, you know, even if it means, okay, you got that wrong and you have to go back to a client and tell them you got it wrong. But you know what? If you phone them, this will be much better. And actually a good example, one of the first ever editors I worked for in a magazine, he was great because he taught me, he said, when you really muck something up, always get on the phone and talk to the person directly because he was like, it's really hard for, he's like, also people are always much angrier behind a letter or an email or a a screen. He said, be a person, pick it up, say, pick up the phone, say, I got this wrong. He was like, and you very rarely, he's like, if people are angry with you, it normally burns itself out quite quick. And he said, but normally people are just like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, and, is that, and it diffuses the situation. I think that's such a useful piece of advice. So I do try, you know, if my if people who work for me come to me and they say, hey, I've got this wrong or I'm panicking or I don't know what to do. I try to be more like, come on, we can fix this. Mm. I'm here to be on your team and help you fix it. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're going to help them on that journey. Yeah, what's the point? We're here to fix this. Nobody, there's nobody who wants things to go really badly. Your clients, your colleagues, no one wants this to go wrong. So let's let's work on getting it back on track. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about Power Up because you know we created that together and you know Matt Shetner was hugely supportive. Uh, but you've been a real um firepower behind it as well what is it about you know this kind of balance of well-being purpose alongside profit and performance that particularly intrigued you and or you know that you that you believe in I think I really really believe I think one of the things I've learned in my career is that people are bringing people to work all the time and actually companies are just big collections of people and I think when I was younger I had this perception that there were like some companies where things worked properly maybe almost robotically and you were and I think one of the big phrases in every job I've ever had is people are like a proper company we would x y or z and I've discovered throughout my career there is no proper company there are just collections of people Mm. and actually you know and people who are sometimes working to the same goal and sometimes not even working to the same goal because they're people. Yeah. And and that's something I think has been so useful. And I think that's what I really loved about Power Up was that the idea with Let's Reset of actually how can we be better through harnessing people and making them feel good. There's been so much out there about this idea of like productivity. I read a story this morning about whether working from home made you more or less productive. And it's all terribly kind of horrible and inhuman, as if everybody's just a kind of, you know, machine. Yeah. And you're like, but nobody I work with or have ever worked with is a machine. And actually all of them needed to be harnessed in a good way to be the best they could be. And that's how you get real productivity and real creativity. Yeah. And that's, what, that's what I love about what you do at Let's Reset and what we do with Power Up. Yeah, I could, you know, I completely agree. And it's fascinating. We were doing a workshop this morning with one of the big tech companies and they were saying, look, you know, pre-COVID, pre 
you know, we're part of their well-being and performance program, but we're not the only part of it. Um, and they said, you know, we've kind of measured what we now see as only one half of of business, which was commercials, KPIs, process, systems, ways of working. And now we realize we need to measure a whole other half, which is about how do people show up? How energized are they? Do we actually look after them? Do we give them value? You know, do we value people? And how do we show that? And how do we give people the time to talk about that and to learn in that environment? And I think it was really eye-opening for me. And they're a brilliant client and they you know, they've worked with us for quite some time now, and it's a now a European program. But the fact that they're even going through that, you know, having been so successful and really thought about that from both sides, I think um, just shows the kind of business that they are in a way. Absolutely. And I think everything's a sort of journey of discovery of how to do better and get more out of people in a positive sense. And I think I think you can really tell the companies that care about their people. And in the end, I think earlier you mentioned, what were you doing during this time? I think you remember all the things, like actually you forget all the things. I've already forgotten all the mistakes I've made, even though I probably made one earlier today. Because the culture of the company where I work isn't to dwell on that except to learn from it. And it's all the little things you you do remember. You remember that time where your family was sick and your boss held your hand in a good you know in a good way um it's not always good if your boss holds your hand (laughs) always but in a good way yeah or someone or someone gave you a hug or someone said I think you might be having a terrible time let me help you or the moments where one of the most powerful things I got to do was mentor somebody who was going through a really horrifically hard time and didn't felt it might be shaming to access counseling or support Mm. and to say oh no 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 don't I yeah I go to counseling because it's really helpful for me it helps me with my confidence and it helps me deal with the things that haven't gone the way I've wanted in my life and makes my life better and I was like oh and would you like to meet all the other people on my team who are really happy to tell you openly about their experience and this guy was like what this is mind-blowing but you're all successful and you're like yeah because we do things like go to counseling because we're humans and stuff life happens to us all yeah uh do you know i think you're so right and actually counseling is one of those things that um people still don't talk about very much if you're in america they do Mm. I think still in the UK, we don't tend to say, oh, we've got a counsellor, particularly in, you know, if you've been through something very difficult, I think people go, oh, I get it. It's fine. But I think if it's something that you use, like you do a business coach, um, I think people find that it's still a little more unfamiliar. Um, So it's great to talk out about it. Do you see somebody regularly? Do you see somebody when you need to see someone? Well, I'm not seeing someone at the moment, but that's only really because I got to the stage where I felt like, do you know what? I think for myself, I'm not making more progress on the things I want to work on. And this is bankrupting me to such a level. I want to be able to buy shoes and that will be better for my mental health, which indicated to me that maybe I was at an okay place and it was all right to give it a rest. So I also think it's not binary. You don't need to be in counselling and out of counselling. I agree. I agree. I think the shoe test is a good one. Shoes or you need a new jacket and you go, okay, I think I could just do that now. I think because you need a, you almost need something to push you out of it as well. Exactly, exactly. And so I think, you know, if there was a moment where I felt like, do you know what, I need more emotional support right now, I would definitely go right back again. Um, because I think it is such a valuable emotional support. And actually, you learn something about yourself, about life. I mean, one of the things I learned that has been an amazing insight was, I think the good thing about counselling is that reflective quality of where you're complaining about something and your counsellor says, but you liked that initially, didn't you? Which is why you got into that. And you're like, oh, yes, damn it. Yeah. And they're like, what do you think that says that you like? Why do you think you liked it? And maybe you've just changed now and you don't like it so much. And you think, oh, damn it, this is true. Oh, and you know, you're so right. I, I'm, I've been seeing a counselor for a few months just because I had such a tricky time for the last, you know, six months. Oh my gosh, I'm a bit. And the last time was about seven years ago. I'm thinking, 
I should have done this before, because actually, if you leave it to a moment of crisis, it's not helpful because all you do is talk about the crisis that you've got, rather than, as you say, reflecting on some things that are just just true or just now different because we're in a different life stage or you've learned some things or you just need that mirror held up against you to remind you of some of the behaviors that you have and the reasons why they're either still really good ones or actually you need to move on and not do that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can gain some real insights into kind of why you behave the way you behave, but in a way that helps you accept it and maybe be less harsh with yourself where you think you because you think to yourself hmm, okay there's actually a reason I feel like this and that's okay it doesn't mean I have to behave badly or react it just gives me a bit of insight that actually brings me a lot of peace about myself yes and the other thing I always love is there's so many terms and phrases because most of the things that you know well certainly I I experience or go through loads of other people do as well. So not only can they help, they have a phrase for it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought it was the only one. And it always happens to me. I always think I'm the only one experiencing something. And then I realise I'm not at all. And actually, I think counsellors are brilliant at teaching you about management because they're always challenging you. My my sort of biggest memory of any counselling session is that you're always, you know, you're saying, you know, I feel terribly disempowered or upset. And they're like, hmm, what do you think your role could be in this? Yeah. And without without that judgment, it allows you to feel much kind of more empowered to take control of your own life, yeah. but without judging you for it. And I think that's a really, really kind of powerful skill that actually is also really good in business is yeah. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong because you're a person. And you can understand why you feel like this. But at the same time, is this getting you the outcome you want? And almost certainly you're like, well, of course it's not. Of course it's not. No, and you can be so much stronger if you understand that. And then either you work it on, they work it. I agree. I completely agree. Um, So that's some some good kind of mental health learning over the time. What do you do on a a regular basis to kind of keep you mentally fit, physically fit? Um, what What do you focus on? Well, I was, I was really, I was really, really into dancing when I was younger and I did a lot of dancing and I really missed, I, I find that I work better through accessing like mental calm through physical activity. Yeah. So I realized that I have a problem with um, doing too much multitasking. I wasn't good at anything like meditation. I wasn't good at mindfulness. I tried really hard to get into them, but I was just terrible. I just spent the entire time creating lists in my head of stuff I do, thinking things like I can get something done during this mindfulness time. Let me just, I need to get my hair cut Thursday. Thursday's a good, so no good for me. So what I do now, I, um, I go to a Pilates class um, and I actually find doing the physical kind of strength work helps me switch off my mind yeah. in the most useful way. And I always come out of there thinking, oh, do you know what? I just feel a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you like at boundary setting around work? Because you are, you know, I think you are a bit of a self-confessed workaholic even now. Um, and you are, you know, you still have a family and you've got a global job. So you're always on how do you make any boundaries stick? Do you have a, like a couple of rules that you don't break or are you just not quite there yet? Yes, I'm terrible. Suki, I think in counselling term, we'd say that was a growth area for me. Um, <laughs> yes. I think that is, and I think the worst part is, and this, again, my counsellor, if they were listening, would be like, I could have told you all this, is that it's my own. This isn't the expectations of other people. I think the, the hardest thing is, these are my own boundaries with myself. This is not what is asked of me. Like Advertising Week asks, you know, that I'm good at my job and do my job. But in fact, my bosses are hugely, you know, they're so kind and positive and say such great things about me. Um, and I, it's my own internal battle with myself to go, I just want to do the best job I always can do. Yeah. So if it means, oh, yeah, I'll just reply to that email because I don't want to hold anybody up because I want to do the best I possibly can. And I think for me, that's one of the big areas is 
where is the moment where I go? I do try on days off and stuff. I try to say, no, no, this is my time. And actually, if I don't rest, I won't be any good when I come back. But that is still an eternal battle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you say, it's a good area to concentrate on and focus on and as a growth area for yourself. Um, but, you know, we know we know it, don't we? It's, it's often hard um, when you are like you are quite a perfectionist and, and you don't like letting people down. But the good thing, Suki, is if you have counselling like us, you also come, you also learn to accept yourself. And so you think to yourself, oh, well, oh, well you know, that hopefully like that. that'll be a growth area. But if it turns out not to be, I guess that's just me. And that's OK. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think the bit I try now do is go, OK, so if I do spend time and I actually do like meditation, so I do try and meditate on and like you, physical exercise is really important. I measure the in, in a nice way, the sort of output that that gives me. So I know I can do more. I know I can be more effective. I know I can be less kind of bullshit and difficult if I've done some of those things. And I noticed that a lot more now about myself than I did before. I think I was a more of a Duracell bunny always on with no off switch. And I now know if I switch off a bit, I am a better person for it. Yeah, I agree. I agree entirely with you. And I think it's, it's my battle to be able to do that but I do see, I do see the better outcomes. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I take time and my problem is I don't really love relaxing that much. I remember in fact, when I went on my first maternity leave, my best friend gave me, we still had DVDs back then. And she was like, Oh, you'll love this DVD. You're just going to watch so much TV. And I was thinking, but when will I fit in the TV? Because you know, I need to go for a walk, I need to do this, I want to make sure I take up those floorboards, maybe I'll wallpaper a wall. And yeah. I think that's my eternal battle. Yeah, but do you know what? I, I like you, you know, for, for people that work in the industry, I just don't watch TV. I don't have time. I don't, it's just not that enjoyable for me. So a good film. I love a good film. But anyway, um, Ruth, that we could chat all day, but we have a festival to organise and run. Well, you have a festival to organise and run. We've got a power up day to, to organise. Um, uh, it's wonderful speaking to the president now of Advertising Week Global. Um, but more importantly, it's, you know, I, I've loved working with you over the years. And uh, it's lovely to hear a little bit more about your background, what you've been doing, what motivates you. And thank you for sharing about, particularly about the counsellor, because I think that really does help to see someone like you who is so successful, um, you know, that you've worked hard on things like feeling not as secure, perhaps, as you wanted to. Um, but mostly just being a really lovely person to work with. And I always like working with lovely people. And you are one of the best. I feel exactly the same way about you, Suki. And I think actually that sums up the theme of this podcast is in the end, it's about people, it's about relationships. And actually nobody wants to spend their life being unhappy and not liking what they do or the people they spend time with. So if you've only got one life, you might as well have a good time while you're here. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Ruth. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.